Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jordy and Josh show, another special edition. Uh, it's been a little while, Jordy, but we're back better than ever. New year. How are you doing today? Good, good. Excited to talk um, about the best decade. Right. It's the best decade because we were both born in it. Yes. Uh, Tina left Ike that decade. Abortion was legal. Abortion was more legal and more accessible than it is today. <laughs> I think Diana Ross left uh, Barry Gordy that, that decade as well. Rainbows were super in. Clothing was still pretty unisex before 18 at least. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about this great decade, which is people haven't figured it out. <laughs> the 70s. The 1970s, yes. <laughs> Although I was born a few years earlier in the 70s than you were, but yeah, we have the 70s kind of squared off. Yes, and I we're going to talk about the 70s and music and songs and what that period of time, what we remember and how it sort of shaped and framed our view of the world, our childhood. Anybody who's watched this podcast knows that we do a lot of reflection. We talk about what made us who we are today, the good things, the bad things, the stuff we've deliberately forgotten about. Maybe someday we'll we'll do the one that we intentionally blocked out. We'll, we'll remember our repressed memories. Uh, but we're going to talk about the 70s. And I'll start off a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I, obviously a lot of the songs that I heard, I didn't hear in the 70s because I would, would have been very young and I probably wouldn't remember. But they're the kind of songs I heard in the late 70s when I'm five, six years old, and then the 80s when your parents, when my parents were playing them. And so it's stuff that is very much tied to very early childhood. So it's more than music. It's more than me deciding to stream an Alanis Morissette song and listen to the words a billion times. It's really blended and blurred into these memories of your mother and your father and your siblings and your house and everything that was going on at that time there are certain billy joel songs i cannot listen to without thinking of being like five years old again or something like that so part of i think what we're going to talk about today is what the songs mean to us but also what they symbolize from that period of time in our lives what do you remember about that period growing up jordy well, so um, like you said, I'm just like a skosh younger than you. And uh, <laughs> so um, I don't, or, I mean, I don't have any real musical memories of the 70s. I have like first primal memories of the 70s and those are all repressed. So um, the, and the music that my parents listened to, my parents had terrible taste in music. So uh, my mother only listened to classical music. I think that she somehow thought that made her an intellectual if she just listened to classical music. But her one exception, her her one like uh, music with words was Billy Joel. So mm. I grew up listening to a lot of Billy Joel. And then my dad listened to terrible, basically what you would hear in an elevator, like Muzak music mm. or anything that was in a movie about airplanes so not the movie airplane but like the right stuff um also i think chariots of fire was kind of a big but that might be the 80s yeah right 
Chariots of Fire. That's like 82 or 83 or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my, my engagement with seventies music comes later and it comes in a very particular time in my life. So it comes in when I'm junior high, high school, experimenting with a lot of um, psychedelic drugs. And uh, so my first introduction to let's do a podcast on your first DMT experience. <laughs> Make a note of that. Yeah. Eighth grade. <laughs> Call it eighth grade. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to eighth grade. Um I was yeah. by myself in the library in eighth grade, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the library. I was by myself a lot in the library too. It's a great place to um get high. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> to give all the young people an idea any ideas um all the young people who watch this uh anyway yeah so i think my experience with 70s music is going to be a little bit different from yours it's going to be a little more led zeppelin a little more like like i don't know did you listen to led zeppelin at all Was no that... i'm very deficient no star wars for me no led zeppelin no pink floyd none of that drug stuff although drug stuff well you know people who listen to pink floyd Never mind, but you know what I mean. That kind of music people zone out to. How about that? Right. Well, I almost wore a Pink Floyd shirt, so I'm wearing a Blondie shirt, another <laughs> favorite '70s band. But I almost wore Pink Floyd. Um, but yeah, Pink Floyd, The Wall, yeah. Pink Floyd, The Wall on acid, Pink Floyd, The Wall, watched with uh, The Wizard of Oz. Do you know that you can time if you start The Wall where the lion roars in the movie The Wizard of Oz? the music matches the story have you ever done really? that i mean i've heard that i've probably in one of my youtube rabbit holes and you know conspiracy theory things you're looking into i think i've i've heard that yeah. so what does that mean the music is is somehow it, it synchronizes with the story so that um yeah it's kind of like there's something on on instagram right now i might have sent it to you on private message where it's like dirty dancing the last scene of dirty dancing where they're dancing you know it lines up with the introduction to the muppets oh that's right yeah mm -hmm. so it kind of does the same thing with the wall and with the wizard of oz um yeah so and then okay so that's my like my so we'll talk about like my first introduction to 70s music which is more like uh psychedelic um yellow submarine stuff like that have you seen that movie no yellow submarine um goodness <laughs> uh that's like an acid trip unto itself but um but yeah so and it's the whole album yellow submarine um and i don't know if you've noticed but the yellow submarine is a metaphor for a joint right oh really i didn't know that yeah no i'm sort of drug deficient to be honest <laughs> so uh definitely acid deficient but is that that's what a yellow we all live in a yellow submarine huh? it's yeah it's like a analogy for and then the yellow submarine looks like a large joint a fatty uh spliff so speaking <laughs> of that puff the magic dragon right is that yeah. about puff a magic dragon or is it about i don't think that's what it's really about i mean it sounds like it like there's little johnny papers in it right so it's puff <laughs> the magic dragon little johnny papers um 
So may, it just seems like it's so on the nose that it can't actually be. Yeah. But then maybe it is. I mean, yeah. Peter, Paul, and Mary, were they yeah, if, talking about Puff the Magic Dragon? What about HR Puff and stuff? Well, that was like being on acid. Like, that's like some psychedelic trip. The people who made that up, I think that was a Hanna Barbera creation. Um, had to have been either just at the end of their rope, you know, like all <laughs> a lot of these things. Like I know this is later in the eighties with Alf. Remember mm-hmm. Alf? Oh, yeah. But like so many different ideas that seem to come out of the seventies and eighties. Either people were at the very end of their rope with ideas, or they were just like high as a kite, and they're like, you know what sounds good? We'll have this big puppet-looking sort of Muppet, large monster thing. Uh, we'll call it HR Puff and stuff, <laughs> and uh, it'll be a kids show. Like anyway, so um, I, I love when you impersonate how like an old man talks. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that's my voice for most things. Okay. Like if, if one of my cats is going to talk or something, it suddenly sounds like. Or if I have like an annoying student and I'm retelling a story later, even though they're like 19 years old, it's like <laughs> 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 Professor Armstrong. <laughs> Anyway, um, so uh, so yeah, so later for me, later in life, uh, post drug experimentation, I listen to seventies music in a different capacity. So we can also talk about that. But what about you? What are your? So your we both have Billy Joel in common. Yeah, I kind of uh, just remember songs that my parents listened to. So that would have been a lot of Elvis. I know most Elvis songs, every word, every lyric, you know, and I've impersonated him as a small boy far more than I would choose to recall. Um, And my mother was sort of listening to a lot of Rod Stewart, Elton John, uh, I guess kind of that pop um, stuff from from the 70s and Billy Joel and, and sort of that kind of stuff. So I have a lot of fond memories of of those songs because they're not when they come on now if i'm listening to k-light or something 101.7 and uh tiny dancer comes on i can really get into it because i'm a i'm a boy in the back seat of the green buick and you know my mother's smoking up a storm in the front and we're singing that song and so it means something along those lines and and so i think about about those songs and uh appreciating them differently as you're older like you know when you're young and you hear your parents music you're kind of like oh this is so like what is this and then later you grow up and you're like damn that maggie may song that's quite the story and i think that's what i love about the 70s stuff is there's a lot of storytelling in there Uh, there, there's a lot of people's journey and their experiences and a lot of it's based on love stories but a lot of it is also based on sort of civil rights stuff or um, a lot of the stories and political climate of the day and so I really like that about about that genre Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin obviously very aware of the groups but I can't say that that song was those songs those bands were played in my house they were more playing when i went to other people's homes and they would put on those records you know at that at that time but 
If we could talk a little bit about Maggie May and Rod Stewart, who's still around. I mean, I don't know how old he is, but he's still <laughs> there and I guess making music. But I listened to Maggie May as an adult and I thought, wow, this song's about something. And as a kid, I remember just thinking, this song sound, sounds really good. You know, I like it. I like the chorus. I like the the guitar at the beginning, the drum beat all the way through. And it's like the suspense. And then as an adult, you're like, wow, what a great story of, I mean, I guess it's like a uh, somebody who went off to college and they're supposed to be at school, but they got distracted with a relationship with somebody older. And it's this struggle of what am I doing? I, I would need to leave, but I can't leave. I should be back in school. And then this back and forth of maybe I'll do this and that and that. And then the end of the line, it's like George Michael's a different corner where he, he says, um, you know, something about uh, what if we had never met, you know, would you feel any, that's not the exact line, but in Maggie May, it's also, you know, I wish I'd never seen your face again. And yeah. I think it's sort of like this, weird hopeless optimism at the end of that song but do you recall that song have you listened to that one a few times yeah so that's probably my favorite rod stewart song and the line in george michael's uh different corner is turn a different corner and we never would have met right. and then maybe may is um is i wish i'd never seen your face right. right so both of those are it's that you know, terrible feeling you have when you have heartbreak and, and loss, and it feels like it would be easier to have never met this person so that you don't have to go through this pain that you're going through now. Um, and that would be common in a lot of different music stories, right? Is this point where you're in so much pain that you would rather forget everything than have to live through this loss. Um, so, Rod Stewart and Elton John and Billy Joel, you mentioned all three of those, and they're all interesting because they all get their start in the 70s, and their music in the 70s is very different than in the 80s. So like growing up when I first became aware of music on my own, it was 80s Rod Stewart and 80s Elton John and 80s Billy Joel, and they were all cheesy AF, right? Like uh, <laughs> Rod Stewart had that... Um, kind of spiky uh Fair. my yeah economics teacher had that in high school too did you have that same economics teacher who had that same like rod stewart spiky hairstyle you know who i'm talking about well, Jordy, you know me i never took economics so. <laughs> <laughs> we had to take it to graduate high school did you not graduate high school <laughs> not, not a dos pueblos uh, and if i did i forgot oh. i'm sure i had some equivalency or something that i worked out <laughs> <laughs> um uh anyway so uh so Rod Stewart then was like, you know, um, downtown train and, uh, and very young, those, those cheesy. Yeah. Songs. Yeah. Super cheesy. Billy Joel stuff gets super cheesy. That's when he meets Christy Brinkley. How did Billy still, I think still Billy Joel still meets these beautiful young women and he continues to just look more and more toad-like as he gets older, right? Like he's shrinking and eventually it'll just be like some 21-year-old model and this like full cane toad sitting next to her. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't but, know if you've noticed, but money and power makes people do incredible. I guess, yeah. Makes them ignore toadliness. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's when he does his ode to Christy Brinkley. 
Wake, Uptown Girl, and a bunch of other cheesy stuff. Um, and, There's a few uh, good songs on that Innocent Man album. I digress. Yeah, wait. What's on that album? I have that album. Um, the Longest Time, Leave a Tender Moment Alone, um, ugh, Uptown Girl. So cheesy. <laughs> like... Innocent Man is a great song, but go ahead. Yeah, just, I mean, okay. I but I know what you're it. saying. It is cheesy compared to... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's the cheese. Like he's already cheese, and '80s Billy Joel is like the cheese. And same with Elton John. Um, Elton John in the '70s is more psychedelic. It's more like he's really experimenting with a lot of stuff. He's got like his Tiny Dancer and his Benny and the Jets, and he's really coming into himself. And then in the '80s, it's just this. I'm still standing. 80s cheese and i don't know what the 80s did to people because even like the best of the best like stevie wonder who 70s stevie wonder is just uh some of the rawest best music ever written and then 80s stevie wonder is it's still stevie wonder but it's i just called to say i love you you know it's like some synthetic part-time lover yeah oh yeah well, i like that song but yeah <laughs> um uh yeah so I don't know what the eighties did to these musicians because it took like the creme de la creme of musicians in the seventies and turned them into just the most synthetic keyboard, um, you know, like get like a Samba beat in the back with your Casio keyboard and just sing over it. Um, you could just blame Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. That and, and well, really, you know, not to get, I was starting that with a joke, but to get a little bit deeper, I mean, the eighties, we made a lot of money. Well, the U.S. made a lot of money and sold their soul. So maybe that's part of, maybe that's what's happening too, is that all those musicians made a lot of money in the 70s and then sold their soul in the 80s mm -hmm. and just became part of this money-making machine. Um, you know, so along those lines, I know we're talking about the 70s, but we just did a car trip for my daughter's birthday a while ago, a couple of weeks ago. And on the way back, I played We Are the World because, uh, yes, oh, yeah. I have this on my iPhone. And um, um, it's crazy all the talent, you know. Like in the Bob Dylan in that is so good. Yeah, uh, but not into the video. Not into in, the video, right, right? In the video where it has all those famous people, singers, actors, Dan Aykroyd's in there for some reason, and then Bob Dylan's just kind of standing in the back, like, get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> But Stevie Wonder's in that too. Like he's great yeah. in that song, you know. Of course. Where were Madonna and Prince though? Like I should know <gasps> that. You're right. In it. And Cindy Lauper's right. in it. So we know that's Madonna's around, but right, right. Hey, by the way, did you see Madonna is going on like her celebration tour? Yeah, I want to go. I love Madonna. It's gonna be all her hits. We should do a podcast on the movie Truth or Dare. Have you seen it? Yeah, of course. That movie, oh my gosh. That's amazing movie. But anyway. And that song um from that movie, uh, what's it called? It's the anyway, Lenny Kravitz wrote it. You know which song I'm talking about? No. Yeah. Anyway. Not keep it sorry. together at the end? No. No, it's uh I want to sing it because it's it's not pro is it a fast song or a slow song? It's not promised to try. No, no, it's that one that's like, I want to kiss you in Paris. Dun -dun -dun -dun. <laughs> it's that song. 
Yeah, no, I know the lyric, but I can't remember it. But anyway, yeah, anyway. she's going on tour for sure. She wiped her Instagram. And speaking of, who was it? You mentioned Elton John and, you know, like he, there's something wrong with him dating these younger women. Um, Madonna dates younger men oh. all the time. So, you know, it goes both. Not Elton John, though. Elton John it's not Elton John, gay, Billy Joel. Famously Billy Joel. gay. You said Billy Joel, sorry. And I, married to a man. Yes, I met yeah. Billy Joel. By the photo, sorry. So, you, you, I think you put yourself on mute, Jordy. There's a dog barking. Oh, okay, all right. You want That was your cue for me to start talking. Okay, so here's the thing. Yes, Elton John, Billy Joel, Rod Stewart, they had their cheese years but in the 70s those songs were just kind of how i identified with spending time with my my family and so their songs were a little better uh billy joel's for sure uh rod stewart elton, elton john rocket man i mean these are songs you still hear like on the radio right now like when i hear tiny dancer today or rocket man they play all the time on popular radio but it, my mother, you know, she passed away 20 years ago. So whenever I hear these songs, it's sort of a way to like go down memory lane and like, remember, I remember when we were singing that song, you know, I remember when we were home. And I think to some degree, that's what music plays in my life still, that it's this ability to remember and escape and leave reality and just kind of get lost in those four minutes, five minutes. Uh, Maggie Mae's like our long song, but you kind of just go to that place in time and you kind of forget where everything is at. So, so I really like, I really like that. Do you have a, a favorite song from the, from the seventies with Led Zeppelin or, you know, the Pink Floyd album or what kind of songs do you go to when you want to hear that era? Well, what's funny is I really don't like Led Zeppelin now. Um, <laughs> I think because I listened to Led Zeppelin a lot in junior high and high school. And now it's like, uh, there's a couple of songs like going to California for Led Zeppelin is probably my favorite song and I'll still listen to that. But, um, but so much of their stuff kind of reminds me of being in my teenage years, which weren't good years to begin with. And then, uh, yeah. So, so I would say Led Zeppelin, um, going to California, but then Pink Floyd, I still really like and listen and have the wall and my daughter, likes the wall now as well, which is cool. Um, and so oh, Pink Floyd, favorite song from Pink Floyd. That's hard to say because one thing about the seventies and music is that people were really doing albums, you know, like now and then in the eighties with singles, you could buy those single tapes if you remember. And with like radio edits, and I know there was radio edits in the seventies too, but like with ra the the one song became more important whereas in the 70s they were still really writing an album which is like this full story right it's like a book instead of yeah. kind of this one shot not that there's not albums today or uh standout songs even on these like these more these more storytelling albums but so with pink floyd it, you know the wall is like this whole story right um and is a is a rock opera is it a rock opera yeah it's a rock opera have you seen it in per in in real life no 
I've seen it a bunch of times. And then when I was in astronomy, um, when I was a student at City College, I was like 17. I took astronomy from Fred, Fred Marshak, who I later got to work with, but I digress. Um, and we used to do this Griffith Park observatory field trip. Yeah. Now, astronomy still does that, which is great. But it used to be this all day where we'd go to Griffith Park, do the planetarium show, walk around. But then we would stay and in the evening, they would do... Uh, a laser show with with the wall oh. so um i've also seen a laser show with the wall with my astronomy class and fred marshak in the 90s that was fantastic but so i would say just the entire the wall for pink floyd mm -hmm. yeah um but then with um with that music like that kind of more psychedelic Beatles music, more, like I said, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, who else would be in there? All that music, I kind of wrap up with being young and, I mean, younger than I am now, uh, and dumb and hopeless and just kind of like, like spiraling mm -hmm. without a whole lot of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And then at the end of my freshman year of high school, that's when I started going to city college and I became like, I, I was like, Oh, I can go to school and I'm going to go to college and all this good stuff. And that's when that, that like music genre kind of cuts off for me. Yeah. So for me, listening to like yellow submarine or, um, or some of the more psychedelic Beatles albums, like uh, what else would be a psychedelic Beatles album? Sergeant Peppers. Have you listened to that album, Lucy on the Sky with Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? Is in on I definitely that. know that song. Um, yeah, which means LSD, right? Yeah, LSD initials. Yeah, uh, all that stuff gets kind of like grouped into this sort of dark um, period of in my brain. So then, when I when later, when I'm like in my twenties and thirties, especially when I became a hipster, right? Like I needed something in my thirties to, to uh, make me an interesting person. So I was like, oh, I know I'll become a hipster um, and started collecting records and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's when I started listening more to early Rod Stewart, early Billy Joel, like uh, Rod Stewart, like you said, Maggie May is this great, it's this anthem, right? It's this long story about coming of age and many people's coming of age stories is going to include a broken heart and possibly a broken heart from like an older wiser person which is what's happening in maggie may but then stay with me is great too do you know that song stay with me by rod stewart it's about him like hooking up with somebody who's kind of trashy and he's like and you're gonna stay with me now but you need to get the hell out in the morning because i don't want to see you after <laughs> after tonight and i know that doesn't sound like the most um feminist uh of songs but um but it speaks to this intrepid sexual post-sexual revolution 70s relationship with sex and with relationships where people before that before birth control and before we had access to birth control so we we had um the birth control pill comes out in the 
or in, in 1960, but it wasn't actually legal for women to buy birth control then. They had to market it as a something that regulated their period. And then it becomes legal in 1965, but only for married women. So birth control doesn't become legal for all women until 1972, right? So in 1972, you have people who don't have to worry as much about getting pregnant and can kind of mess around with sex and fool around with with you know, figuring out what they really want in life and not getting married at like 18, 19. And you see that reflected in songs like Stay With Me or songs like Maggie May or songs like, uh, like, what are some Billy Joel songs that speak to that? I don't know. A lot of the Billy Joel songs I listen to today and I just sort of like figure, figure, like I'm still trying to figure them out. Um, He's got that song, I think it's called My Life, where he says, go ahead with your own life, but leave me alone. I I don't know if he's singing to a parent. I don't know if he's singing to a spouse or a partner or like somebody who's trying to control him. Um, That might be early 80s, might be late 70s. But that's that's 70s. And um, I think he's speaking to a parent. Like I always got the idea that he was leaving his house, his like childhood home and being out and going somewhere else but yeah you're right it could be a spouse too because of or a partner some kind of partner um like an ex you know like hey go ahead with your own life leave me alone yeah Yeah. but those those 70 songs um and then there's sort of that like there's that the elvis stuff where it's like the worst i guess you could say of his music because he's now kind of a caricature of himself and he's about to die in 77 and which by the way lisa marie presley you know recently passing away and that's that's very sad can you imagine being the child of elvis presley i mean it's just like how do you even do that the pressure that is there it's like being the child of michael jackson right yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe, other, yeah. maybe we're better off, Jordy, because we're like on the total other end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, well, Elvis in the 70s, that's when he starts his Vegas show. So he starts his Vegas show in like, what, 73, somewhere around then, yeah. and works in Vegas, just in Vegas, and like kind of starts that whole what's now commonplace in Vegas, which is are people who have like, uh, instead of going on tour, they have like a regular show. Um, so that's, like you said, he becomes a caricature because basically he's just selling the cheese of being Elvis, the overdone, you know, over accessorized, (laughs) uh, and that's when he starts really kind of sinking in. I mean, I think he'd always done a lot of drugs, but like sinking into the really negative, like uppers, uppers, downers, downers, so he could sleep. And then, and I mean, how old was he when he died? He was younger than both of us put together. Like 42 or put together. (laughs) I would say he was like 42 or something. Yeah. 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 He was, he was very young and, um, and yeah. So seventies Elvis is more of the cheese as opposed to those other up and comers who was, who were more in like their element. And then sold their souls in the 80s let me ask you a question jordy because it's a little bit relevant with that big elvis movie um that was a big hit and won an award and here we're in 2023 and everyone has to it has opinions on everything everybody does and often negative but 
You know, I always grew up with this sense that Elvis was brilliant, genius, incredible performer, incredible voice, uh, charisma, all these great things. We know he didn't write his music. Uh, he, he, he did a lot of covers and people wrote songs for him. Uh, but, you know, his instrument was his, his voice and his ability to sing songs like no one else. Uh, but there's always people who say that he appropriated black music and that, you know, he made a lot of money off the uh, songs written, you know, by other people who uh, sang just as well as him, but never got famous. And, you know, it's sort of like, like, you know, Eminem or something like that, you know, Eminem being one of the, you know, maybe, you know, with, along with Tupac, like the best rappers of all time. But there are people who say, well, if he were not white, we wouldn't even know who he is kind of thing. But it's not really true because he was rapping about different experiences than the other rappers were at the time. But what do you think of Elvis? I mean, do you think he appropriated and therefore we should look at him differently in history or get over it? He's a great performer. And that's just, you know, what he did with with music at that time. Um, yeah, and I'm really the authority on this subject as a white woman with red hair who was born in the late 70s, but so we'll... Well, we'll we're going to amplify your voice and center your opinion and uh, make sure that we uplift whatever you say. So go well, for it. And, and we'll keep in mind that I understand my position of privilege and all of that good stuff. Uh, but I would say that, um, first of all, I really like Elvis. Uh, and I've liked Elvis. Um, maybe Elvis was one of the musicians that my dad listened to. And, you know, another musician I want to talk about in a minute is Neil Diamond, mm -hmm. and uh, who's like the Jewish Elvis, right? Oh, I can give you my opinions on Neil Diamond, no problem. Um, <clears throat> box check there. Uh, but Elvis, um, especially his like 50s and 60s music before he he's not really writing that much new music in the seventies cause he's doing that show, but he's great. He's, and part of the reason he's great is because he, and part of the reason that people were so like blown away by him is he was performing a type of music that had been around for much longer than he'd been around. Um, but it was also music that he'd grown up with. So he's poor. He's from Mississippi. He had grown up, playing and and singing and et cetera, et cetera, all this kind of music. I think the problem that we tend to, we tend to glom onto the figurehead, right? We tend to look at like, oh, Elvis was appropriating music. He's this white man and et cetera, et cetera. But what we should look at is why is society, why did why did society ignore all these other musicians who were singing the same kind of music but then elvis comes along and they're like oh that's somebody that we can package and sell to the general population so we put a lot of blame on the individual as opposed to there's something very wrong with a society that will ignore music ignore, ignore music ignore music um, take advantage of these musicians. So many musicians who would have been doing music like Elvis, I mean, they would have been paid for the day, right? Like their day in the studio. They didn't get royalties for music. They didn't get royalties from if Elvis or somebody else sang it or copied it later. Uh, what we should be looking at is why we as a society grab on to certain people because they're more palatable. I mean, this is 
a different example, but still kind of similar. So, you know, Harry Styles, mm -hmm. right? And I love Harry Styles. I love that Harry Styles is like playing around with gender, which is what I said, have said a lot of times. I wish that we could just play around with gender. Um, and uh, you want to paint your nails, wear a necklace, whatever. We should be able to do those kinds of things. <clears throat> but so Harry Styles is on the cover of Vogue maybe last year, maybe a year before. And he's wearing pearls and he's wearing like both masculine and feminine clothing. And people are like, he's such a hero. But Billy Porter, if you know who Billy Porter is, is an actor, was on Pose, um, wrote a book last year, maybe about his life, uh, is a singer, was in Kinky Boots for its first run. Mm. He wore addressed to I think it was the Oscars it was some big award show maybe it was the Grammys maybe it was the Emmys I don't know he wore like this and it so it was it was looked like a suit kind of at the top and then it like flared out into this big ball gown and so that was a couple years before Harry Styles right and here he is doing the same thing playing around with gender flaunting the idea that he has to fit into a very normative presentation if he's male versus female but he got crapped on like crazy of course um and so this whole harry styles is so brave no i'm sorry billy porter was brave right billy porter was harry styles is allowed to do that kind of stuff because he has more money because he every like people know him from here to wherever in the world and he's and we look at that and, and we're disarmed by it, right? We see Harry Styles and it's like, oh, maybe we can play with gender. But Billy Porter does that and people are like, oh my goodness, you can't do that. You know, you like that, that's still in a threatening package. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. It's two different men who identify as men playing around with what they can wear and what's appropriate to wear. But society looks at one and rejects one and looks at the other and they're like, maybe it's not so bad. Right. So when we're looking at Elvis, the, the story and the, the discussion shouldn't be about what Elvis did. Elvis was a poor man from Mississippi who was making money. Right. And he took his family with him, by the way. He took like everybody around him with him on tour. He made like he employed all of them. Uh, <clears throat> he was doing right by his community, by his like personal community. But um, but the discussion should be why was Elvis the one that we all accepted wow. instead of every other musician who didn't look like him, who sang music similar to him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those are good points. And he's also, you know, the bottom line is he was talented. It isn't as though they put some guy who looked good and, and tried to make him something. Cause that never works. You know, that, that only lasts so long. Um, he was talented. So, you know, notwithstanding all the other things, but I just, um, well, let's talk about Neil Diamond first. Cause it sounds like you've got something to say about Neil Diamond. Um, Sweet Caroline obviously is a iconic song and just about everyone oh, yeah. knows, knows it. I uh, drove, um, when I was in grad school, we had to do like field study out in the middle of nowhere. And I drove one group of people crazy for five <laughs> days singing that song repeatedly. Uh, so yeah. Well, so Neil Diamond, that's another one of the musicians that my dad would have listened to. And he would have listened to like the cheesiest of cheese when it comes to Neil Diamond, like um, 
uh, what is that jazz singer, that that album. Um, So I grew up kind of thinking like, oh, Neil Diamond is like cheesy, terrible elevator music because I associated with my dad. But then I started listening to him. I don't know, like I said, when I got into my hipster, when I first started embracing being a hipster, early 30s. And uh, he is just amazing. Like he's so, especially his his early work, he's so folky. He was, uh, he is, he's still around, um, is an amazing songwriter, right? Like he spoke to, and I think like Elvis, one of the reasons maybe he's called the Jewish Elvis is um, he's able to speak to a more general group of people. You know what I mean? Like he's not, he's not speaking specifically to the stoners or to the skaters or to the surfers, like the beach boys were all about like California surfing lifestyle. Um, He was a, he was able to kind of like reach a broader range of people, which is the sign of a very, very good writer, somebody who can write and a lot of different people can hear themselves in it, whether it's a song or a book or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like red, red wine or which, you know, I was first introduced to with UB40, who... I didn't even know he sang that. I thought UB40... Yeah, that's his, that's his song. Um, Is it yeah, better than UB40s? I hate them. Much, much better. Much better. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, that and Play Me and... Um, uh, um, why am I blanking all the songs right now? What's that They Come uh, Into America song? That So that's from The Jazz Singer. All right. Um, and, you know, that's kind of like later cheesy stuff. That's a good song. Uh, yeah. It's a good car trip road song for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And- so I came to know Neil Diamond much later in life, and I was able to disassociate him with my dad <laughs> and associate him as like this really just fantastic folksy songwriter who, especially early on in his career, was kind of an every man right and every person somebody who who could speak to a lot of different audiences and people could identify themselves in his music and he's still going strong you know unlike the other neil diamond can't be his real name can it be do you know Mm, i mean it could be but i don't know if it is diamond diamond Diamond. yeah so you know, the origin of this podcast started with you and I having coffee and you were wearing Sonny and Cher shirt. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, let's go back to there. I love Cher. Yeah, I love uh, Cher. That 70s stuff is so different, you know, when she's very young and she's on a horse and she's got like a Native American sort of theme. Um, and and then obviously she gets really big in the 80s as a solo artist. But there's that time when it's Sonny and Cher and that um, they're, they're part of the 70s lexicon, pop culture. What's your take on on those two? What do you remember about them? Well, I love Cher, of course, like any good um, person should love Cher. Uh, and uh, I love the Sonny and Cher relationship. So she gave his eulogy, you know, he died, unfortunately, in a skiing accident. And by the way, every time I ski now, I'm thinking like, I don't want to run into a tree like Sonny, Sonny Bono. But um, 
<laughs> she gave his eulogy, right? Long after they weren't together anymore, um, he was remarried. He was uh, in he was in Congress, right? He was a member of Congress. So he'd been mayor of Palm Springs and then he was in Congress. Hmm. Um, and her eulogy spoke to how he saw something in her. You know, she was, where is she from? Brooklyn or Queens? She's from somewhere, one of those outer boroughs. Um, and how she was just this like funky looking, tall, skinny, large nosed woman who nobody saw anything in and he saw something in her. And you can tell if you watch that show and watch them interact and, and they still do that show even after they're no longer together romantically. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks at her and gazes at her with such admiration. Like he saw what the rest of the world needed to see. Like I said, you know, Cher, she's not an every man in the sense that like what I was just describing with Neil Diamond, but if like, who doesn't love Cher? Cher appeals to so many different people like throughout the world as this glamorous iconic figure, somebody that we can look up to and kind of idolize for, for so many different reasons. And then she's this great actress too, you know, um, she wins the Oscar in, uh, uh, what's it called? Not moon dance. That's a Van Morrison. Moonstruck. Song. Moonstruck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then mask. Do you remember that movie? Mask? Oh my God. That movie uh, traumatized me. I was so sad when I saw that movie. I didn't know yeah. like that was like that somebody had to have that condition. It was so sad. Yeah. And then, um, he comes to school here. That's Devereaux is the school he goes to in that movie. Oh, uh-huh. So Mask is a movie about a person who's who's born with this particular deformity and he's going to die and his mother is Cher. And uh, she's like this motorcyclist, motorcycle gang woman, you know. So like Aaron uh, Brockovich or something. <laughs> yeah, like Aaron Brockovich meets uh, Katie Seagal in <laughs> Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> um, and... Uh, uh, he's got this weird deformity though, and he gets really bad headaches. And um, sorry, spoiler alert, but the movie's like forty-five years old. He dies at the end, and she she comes into his bedroom and she sees him, and she goes and sits next to him, and it's yeah. So anyway, part of that movie, he goes to a school for people with special needs, and it's Devereaux, which is here in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And he was a real person. And that was a real story. Yeah. Anyway, so Cher is this great actress as well, plus this flamboyant singer, plus I know not that many people are excited by fashion, but she was so daring with fashion. Like she was she was out there in her what was that <laughs> outfit she wore, which was basically like one big nylon stocking that just had like two strips that went like both boobs and uh genitalia area was covered do you know what i'm talking about i don't think i've seen that one (laughs) i think she wore it in if i could turn back time in that video oh okay i've seen that video oh yeah yeah she had that stuff in the 70s the 80s and then believe is that 90s or that was the 2000s yeah and then yeah still believe is 90s yeah yeah her her gay anthem of the 90s As opposed to Turn Back Time, which is our gay anthem of the 80s. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sonny saw, you know, something that nobody else saw, but everybody else eventually saw, if that makes sense. 
So he sees this skinny, funny looking woman and he's like, this woman has talent and just gives her a platform and make sure that the world knows her. And then the whole world is like, oh, you're right. Like, this is something we needed. Can you imagine a world without share? I don't want to imagine a world without share. <laughs> I don't want to imagine a world where Sonny Bono saw this woman and was like, eh, next. Um, so, so yeah, so Sonny and Cher doing their show, like you, you watch him and he just has such admiration for her, even after they're not together, like even after they're no longer romantically involved, he's just like so clearly in love with this person because yeah. she was, she is that fantastic. Um, yeah. I, I can't imagine a world without Cher because then I would never have heard Adam Lambert sing Believe acapella. <laughs> and if you haven't heard that, you need to I listen to that, yeah. that. That is incredible. Cher's in the audience. It's like a tribute to Cher. And she oh, just nice. she starts crying, you know, because it's so good. And also, if we could blend multiple podcasts here, Jordy, one of the greatest skits in the Golden Girls was when Sophia Police... Sophia and Dorothy do the share right and b arthur dorothy does share oh my goodness you know the whole know. thing you know and the mannerism so yeah I, we would never have had that golden girls episode so of course i i um can't imagine a world without share uh for sure i wonder if like in 40 years people will be doing podcasts i'm talking about like do you remember lady Gaga and how influential she was in the 90s or not 90s but 2000s i'm uh, sure they will if yeah. we're still here <laughs> maybe we'll be doing it <laughs> if gorillas haven't taken over the earth maybe maybe they're on their podcasts are they real gorillas or ai gorillas? no they're planet of the apes it's planet oh, of the apes. oh yeah life. that's right they should be returning on their spaceship anytime now <laughs> cornelius and zira okay so so yeah, Sunny and Cher and that whole I Got You Babe song. And like if you Google on YouTube, you can find their performances on these late night shows where where they do that. And that is the one thing about Sunny is he's like when he looked at her, you knew that was true love. Like it wasn't lust, it wasn't like sexual. It was like she loved he just loved this person's being and and energy. And um well and and not to interrupt, sorry, but what's great about that is that she wasn't a cookie cutter woman right like this is that show starts in the early 70s the expectation that women still fit a very very particular look um uh way of presenting themselves uh you know all all that kind of stuff like he shines light on this woman who doesn't fit into this standard of what people are supposed to like when it comes to women and, you know, that's part of what's so great about that show as well. And and elevating her and showing Cher is that here is a woman who was unique. And instead of being told you need to change that because that uniqueness, well, it's special, but it doesn't conform to social standards of what a woman's supposed to be. He's like, this is fantastic. Like more women should be able to express themselves, be themselves rather than conform to some very confined box of what women should be absolutely yeah so cutting edge where do you put queen in the spectrum of cheesiness and led zeppelin um where are they at during the 70s queen is closer to when i think about queen i love queen um and uh 
uh, I don't put them in a Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. They're definitely not in that genre arena, at least not for me. Um, they're again, like such avant-garde cutting edge musicians, uh, Freddie Mercury. So they're an English band, right? Um, and England colonized the world and a lot of it's, uh, a lot of it's different colonials went back and made a home in, in the UK. Right. And his family, Freddie Mercury was South Asian. He was from Zanzibar. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so he wasn't a typical British person, at least at the time, Britain is definitely more diverse now, but at least at the time you would have seen those people, uh, South Asians only on the margins of British society. So just him having a, a place, I think possibly allowed him to be more flamboyant and eccentric because he was already on the outskirts of society. And I think when you're on the outskirts of society, you don't feel you haven't sometimes, sometimes people have this response. They haven't grown into, they haven't been given certain, uh, what am I trying to say? When you are already on the margins, you don't feel like you have to fit in as much because you've always been on the margins. You've never Just fit warm. in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was able to be more eccentric, be more flamboyant. And maybe that's why he was not as afraid to play around with different music styles. Bohemian Rhapsody, which I know gets the most attention of all of their songs. And they have lots and lots of other great songs. But Bohemian Rhapsody was like this you know, never, it, it was super, super long. So it wasn't, they wanted songs to be like three minutes, four minutes, so they could go on the radio. This was like a seven minute long song. And this is before Led Zeppelin had their like many seven, eight minute long songs. And so Queen would have opened the door for that kind of longer, let's like really take, like Maggie May is a very long song as well. Let's take like an adventure through this song rather than have like a cute little three minute, mm. you know, poppy, Beatles, early Beatles. So Queen um, is this great 70s band because they're breaking lots of boundaries. And that's what so much music, so many different musicians in the 70s were doing is they were breaking boundaries of conformity. Even, even if you look at some of the musicians who would have been like the Supremes, right? So the Supremes <clears throat> are uh, a Motown band, Diana Ross, etc cetera, etc cetera. and the supremes are great great bands but they were kind of in the when they formed and through the 60s conforming to this idea of what an all-female especially an all-female black music band should be and then if you look at diana ross break away from the supremes and what she becomes in the 70s she's acting she's playing around with different genres um you see like the 70s uh, there's a lot more artistic experiment experimentation experimentation is that yeah. a word experimentation yes <laughs> um and i think that queen and some other bands kind of opened the door for that and i think that freddie mercury was more allowed to open the door for that because he was already marginalized in where he was raised and uh maybe already felt like he was outside so he could play around more that makes sense yeah. plus he had those extra teeth he had like an extra big jaw which allowed him he had like big teeth did he have extra teeth 
I think he had like extra teeth or he had like an extra, like something like was wider here so that he had a wider range. That's why he could like really just, oh. <laughs> he had a, a wider vocal range, I think, because of the oh. shape or something. So physically he had this genetic thing that allowed him to project a little bit more. Yeah. Um, You reminded me of a song lyric um, when we're talking about Freddie Mercury and being sort of, on the fringe already and feeling disenfranchised. So therefore it's less of a risk to take risks because you're not part of some group that you have to offend. But it reminded me of um, Janis Joplin, which is seventies and me and Bobby McGee. And I think someone else wrote it. I forget his name, but wrote that song, but she's got a line in that song that says freedom Something about freedoms when you when you've got nothing left to lose, sort of thing, which is very different than George Michael's definition of freedom. Yeah, so freedom is what you have when you have nothing left to lose. But that "Me and Bobby McGee" song by Janis Joplin, like that song, is incredible. Like she is out of her mind in the vocals at the end of that song when she's just like, you know, just telling the story. I mean, do do did you like Janis Joplin or did you? Yeah, I love Janis Joplin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love Jonah Joplin and I like that song a lot. That song is telling a story, right? Like she's telling a story about being with Bobby McGee, getting picked up in a truck, you know, they're like singing this guy all the way to New Orleans and then they travel all around together. And it's one of those songs like Maggie May where um, you lost this person and, but she's more melancholy. She's not as like, I'd rather just forget all of, like all about you. Yeah. Uh, she's more, you know, she'd like to be back with this person but again it's this it's this like nostalgic melancholy telling of a relationship that a lot of people can identify with maybe not maybe not like hitchhiking around the country with but a lot of people have can identify with that idea of having a short relationship with someone you really click with and then just circumstances driving you apart you know right yeah. it's not meant to be long term um and in in the songs I always I always like songs that have a good lead whether it's instrumental you know being a journalist or lyrics but like the 70 storytelling it, you'll probably correct me here but i think the opening line is busted flat in baton rouge waiting for a train busted a, right? busted a flat in baton rouge waiting for a train yeah yeah it's like so visual right and, mm -hmm. and it's just like wow it's such storytelling as opposed to well, I don't want to be like, you know, the one who's crapping on Taylor Swift, uh, but no, just kidding. Um, but it's just so, uh, such good storytelling in that. Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. That's got to be the 60s, right? That's like late 60s. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a song that I only got into recently, too, is being like this incredible hate song or revenge song or like, you know, you're nothing now. You thought you would be, um, but you're not. But those 70 songs, before we, we should wrap up soon, but are there any songs to you that we haven't talked about that that mean something to you that you really enjoy? Um, I don't know if you've heard Bad Leroy Brown by Jim Croce. Yeah. Um, that song is, that's a three and a half minute song and it's simple, but it's a little story about the baddest man in town and don't mess with him and all the women love him and all the dudes fear him. And then one dude tries to mess or no, Leroy Brown tries to mess with this guy's wife or girlfriend and 
you know, even Leroy Brown meets his demise, you know, after, after that, but it's such a good storytelling and it's Jim Croce and it's like the steady, steady beat. And it's, it's, it's a lesson. It's a metaphor that like, no matter how big and bad you think you are, you can always fall. Somebody will also always be able to, to bring you down if you're not humble about, about it or careful. And that's kind of what I got out of that song. It's just like, he's the baddest man in town, but he messed with the wrong woman and he's not bad. And he, you know, he got stabbed in the end, you know? So, and I think it's yeah. ambiguous whether how badly injured he is. Right. Well, that whole album, that whole Jim Croce album, I love. Mm. Um, and, you know, he died kind of tragically in a plane accident soon after he wrote that album. And one thing I've thought, from that album is how how like much more we would have gotten out of him you know what i mean oh, like mm-hmm. like that album is i think the last one he releases before he dies and it's just it has time in a bottle it has um operator on it mm-hmm. you know yeah. um it has uh one of my favorite songs by him is oh, what's it called <sighs> on that anyway hey tomorrow i really like that song hey tomorrow is on is on uh that album anyway um that whole album tells this kind of story of it's not you know it's not as clear of a story as let's say the beatles um rubber soul uh or other albums but it's the story of like love and loss and there's all these different songs on it that are about some kind of love and some kind of loss and whether it's like messing around with the wrong person and getting messed up because of it, or whether it's losing out on somebody because, you know, you weren't like operator, he's calling somebody and he wants to get in touch with this woman and she's living with his old ex-best friend, uh, you know, so like she's left him for somebody who was better clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but all those songs on that album are about some kind of love and some kind of loss. And each one of them tells that sort of story. And that's what a lot of seventies music was, is it was, it was because people were able to experiment more because they had more freedom because birth control was a thing. People had more freedom. And that, that means men too. You know, a lot of people think that when women are oppressed or when women don't have access to birth control, men are just out there running around, living a free life. But if over half the population is oppressed in some way, why the rest is oppressed as well that's why we oppress over half the population but anyway um so that freedom for women to experiment more meant that men were experimenting more as well and it wasn't just with sex i mean they're experimenting with sex but you're also able because you're not like getting married and getting tied down to a baby in your teenage years as much you are able to experiment more with what you want to do with your life, what kind of careers you want to have. And all of that, I think, reflects in that music that we see in the 70s, people kind of playing out different scenarios. This is what happened in this relationship. This is what happened when I went and lived here. I think that's why we get a lot of those kind of journey songs, not journey, but like journey songs where (laughs) where we're traveling somewhere like um, like like Bobby McGee. You know, that's a traveling song. uh tangled up in blue which 
I think his late 60s, but still, that's a traveling song, right? Like that's Bob Dylan's song where he's like, I'm over here and then I'm over there and I ran into this woman here and then I ran into her over there. And it's a short synopsis of that song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot more experimentation with storytelling because people were living different lives. They were living lives where they were able to experiment more as people because they had more freedoms. And so the moral of this story is birth control should be readily available to all of us. Otherwise, <laughs> we are not able to explore as much and the music is not as good. Come on, Jordy, just drive to a state where it's legal. That's what I, I read on, you know. Fox oh, yeah. Fox. Well, I, I think that Fox News. <laughs> Do you say you read that on Fox News? Yeah, I just I made that up because I don't really read anything on Fox News. Uh, but um I I can always count on you to turn a podcast about 70s music into something smart and important and worthy of a message at the end. So with just a hint you. of genitalia. Always. <laughs> just a sprinkle of genitalia in there. Yes. And um no C words during this podcast. Um not this time. <laughs> not this time, but you wait. <laughs> we're gonna what's the yeah, we should just do one on this the history of birth control and uh how it affects oh, yeah. the music of our times. Oh, before we go, speaking of birth control and songs, Papa Don't Preach. So I was listening to that song by Madonna in the 80s, and I was just like blowing my mind that she was actually like doing sending a message that's very different than i think a lot of people would expect madonna to have uh but you know she's keeping her baby she's sort of you know she's going to keep her boyfriend her boyfriend's going to stay they're going to make it work and i guess it's the 80s but like that that message just blows my mind i mean what do you what do you think of that song is that yeah. a, i mean that was her, her her that was very different i would imagine than a lot of people would expect from madonna yeah um, well, that song is great because she's addressing something head on that people didn't address in music, didn't address directly, right? They either, either covered it up, like, I mean, this is way before, obviously, I know that, but um, Ernest Hemingway's Hills Like White Elephants, have you ever read that story? Mm. Yeah. Well, so that's about an abortion, but nobody ever says abortion, nobody ever, right? But it's just these two people talking and you either figure out it's about an abortion or you're like, that was a whole whole story about the hills looking like white elephants um just like but, off that magic dragon yeah <laughs> so um so people had discussed things like having babies out of wedlock having unplanned babies whatever having abortions possibly but here she is talking very directly about it and says it's so directly that and i was young at the time but i remember my friend trinity was like no, she's talking about her boyfriend. She's talking about Sean Penn, like the whole thing. She's like, no, she means baby. Like, uh, like her dad doesn't like Sean Penn, but she wants to get married to Sean Penn. <laughs> like she was so direct about it that people thought it had to be a metaphor for something else, right? right? It had to be like an allegory for some something else. But no, she was just talking about like, I'm pregnant and uh, this is what we're going to do. And I know that the narrative of like, I'm pregnant and I'm keeping it doesn't seem like revolutionary or feminist to some people. But what is feminist and revolutionary about that is her being so direct and having agency. And that's the point of choice, right? The point of choice is that you have a choice and that that choice is yours to make, whether it's 
keeping your baby or not keeping your baby. Mm-hmm. So that song was great because she is directly addressing this issue that has um, impacted, let's say, most women in the world. And then there's got to be some men in there as well who are going to be impacted by it. Um, but that nobody talked about forever. It's like masturbation. Like everybody does it. Nobody ever talks about it. Uh, people were the having a Darling Nikki. Darling Nikki is a 70s song. Yes. No, is it? I think 70s? it's late 70s, The Prince, or is it early 80s? I think it's anyway, early 80s. That's a masturbation song. but Yeah. Well, so so um it's a great song because she's so direct in addressing this thing that so many people have had to deal with but but like you felt like you had to keep kind of under wraps and not talk about directly or not talk about openly and her doing that taking agency over this very big decision in her life I mean I don't know how many people that like needed to hear that but I'm sure plenty of people needed to hear someone directly kind of taking this choice and making a very direct decision about it, as opposed to like Bruce Springsteen and The River. That's 70s, right? Yeah. That's one of my favorite songs ever. So that song is about, you know, it's about his brother in real life. Um, but it's, he he sings it from his perspective, his point of view, but it's like him and Mary are going down by the river. She gets pregnant. They get married. He gets a union card. 19 and it's their life and they're just kind of like ugh, like okay we had a good time when we were like 17 years old but now we're strapped into just this like life and there's no real choice there there's no real agency there papa don't preach was like don't tell me what to do mm-hmm. i'm gonna keep my baby mm-hmm. you know and yeah. and it sort of reinforced paternal role models i mean she went to her dad you know i guess she was a catholic family growing up but Anyway, that's 80s. We'll do the 80s music some other time beyond George Michael and Prince and Whitney Houston, which you've already done. Uh, But uh, again, you turned it smart twice in a matter of like six minutes. So fantastic. Uh, But anyway, um, another another great conversation. So um, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll do it again soon. I'm glad that we coordinated our shirts. We'll do that next time with you. Oh, the black and black? Yeah. Well, there's a 50% chance I'm wearing black on any podcast. So yeah. that's true because I have black shirts and black shirts and a blue shirt. So. It's like Johnny Cash. You're the Johnny Cash of, of podcasting. <laughs> yes. You know, ever since the <laughs> pandemic, all I wear are black t-shirts. So. All, right. all right. Thank you. All right.